Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. Normally, of course, I would be joined by the great, mighty, and awesome Leslie Goldberg, THR's West Coast TV editor. However, Leslie is in the last stages of her recovery from COVID. Yes, it's still real. It's still a thing. It's still happening. And she didn't want to cough on anybody. Hopefully, she'll be back um, in the proverbial podcasting saddle. Yes, we do record things differently around here next week. However, I didn't want to have the podcast dark for four straight weeks because then you'd forget about how much you loved us. Uh, So we're going to do things a little bit differently this week. We're not going to do a normal TV's top five. We're just going to talk about a few things currently in the news, including the return of the in-person Television Critics Association press tour. And we're going to review a couple of new shows, including The Last of Us on HBO. Uh, But just so this isn't me just talking into a void, not that I couldn't do that. I rounded up a couple of TCA friends and friends of the five to join me today. So everybody, welcome GameSpot Entertainment Editor and host of the Wrestle Buddies podcast and a former TV's Top 5 guest, Chris Hayner. Go Dodgers. (laughs) I like like that we should all do our darndest to attempt to fill the Leslie void, and we'll see how many of us it takes to do it. We're going to be a little bit like uh, Vincent Adultman from uh, BoJack Horseman. It's going to be four of us in a big trench coat attempting to be Leslie Goldberg. So, yes, that was Chris Hayner. We also have Salon Culture Senior Editor and TCA Board Member and my former zap to it colleague, Han Wen. Welcome, Han. Thanks. Uh, Elton John, yay. Is that something Leslie? Sure. She, she does. She went to the the, con- the Disney Plus concert and, and enjoyed it. So this, this could be fun. I, I can, uh, I can, you know who didn't, though? Bob Chapek. Hey. <laughs> hey, yo. I can already see our, our third guest trying to figure out what she knows about Leslie and if she can make any reference. Finally, our third guest is decider, writer, and reporter, Kayla Cobb. Kayla, do you have a second thing you would like to add to your descriptor? Leslie's just awesome. This is very, very accurate. So, Leslie, if you're listening and wondering how we managed to replace you, and why would you be listening to a podcast that you weren't even on, uh, we miss you, and we hope to have you back. So, um, normally this would be the place, and we are not doing five things, so if you're missing out on number one or number (laughs) two, maybe our wonderful podcast editor and producer and all-around jack-of-all-trades, Matt Whitehurst, will insert numbers just at a random point. That would be amusing. So we're not going to do a formal headline segment, but I do want to talk about a couple headlines. Number one. 
today, uh, Netflix renewed Mo for a second and final season. I don't love the final season part of it, but a renewal is a renewal. Um, and Mo has been for the past, I don't know, few months, one of the shows that Leslie and I have been uh, making sure that we had on our Arya Stark revenge list if they didn't get renewed, along with Amazon's League of Their Own. Uh, how about renewing that, Amazon? And along with Freebie's High School, uh, which I believe you have feelings about, Chris. Do you have feelings about High School? High School was my favorite show of last year. Like, full stop. It's a it's a beautiful, practically perfect program. And nobody knows it exists because it's on something called Freebie. Excuse me. Listeners to the TV's Top 5 podcast. Well, yes. Yes, I'm talking about the uncultured swine that don't listen to your podcast. Absolutely true. Uh, and this would be the point at which if Leslie were here, I'd be like, hey, Leslie, uh, when did we have Clea Duval on the podcast? And she would go to her magical Google Docs list. And Oh, do you not have that? I don't have it up. So <laughs> Episode uh, 95. Oh, no, it's much higher than that. It's, <laughs> uh, it's like 170 something from some time. In any case, part of, our, part of the purpose of this podcast that we're doing today is to show how much we miss Leslie and cannot <laughs> yeah. replace her <laughs> and her Google Doc. Uh, yeah. And I would just like to say, like, yay, Mo. I am from H-Town, so I'm super happy that he was able to show it. And even, like, the uh, high school, well, next door to where I went to, and all of A-Leaf. Uh, yeah, it's an incredibly diverse community, and I'm, I'm happy it's back, even though it will end. It will end, but all, all things end. Um, but yes, I, I feel bad that it's not going to run as maybe as long as they wanted to. But also Mo Amer has other things he's doing. I did for some reason watch Black Adam a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm sorry. Late at night on HBO Max and he's totally in it. <laughs> it is not a good movie. It's a movie that has like a few things in it that I think are kind of the seeds of a good movie, but it's not. Pierce a Brosnan. But okay. What else? Um, that movie bummed me out. It was not a good movie. It was a, it was a bad movie. Um, regardless of how much profit, uh, the rock was able to convince deadline that it made. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That was a fun the little. The rock also went to high school in, in Houston. So that's why. <laughs> we love that connection. <laughs> Sorry. Our, our Houston correspondent. Yes. Con. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Ask, yes. Yes. We will, we will say again, freebie, renew high school, Amazon review, league of their own and Netflix. Thank you for at least giving a second season to Mo. Uh, speaking of things that we have talked about conversationally in recent podcasts, many, many times, uh, it was announced on Thursday that stars had acquired the second season of Minx, which was one of many parts of the recent HBO max television show genocide um and so it was of course canceled by hbo max deep into production yeah they um, were filming at the time right deep yeah. into production it was like nearly done or two-thirds of the way done and they just decided to cancel which is still better than uh avenue 61 or 61st street or whatever the heck the uh condi uh condi whatever the case was so the uh the 61st Street, the AMC show that got canceled after having already finished production on its second season. That is... Yeah, I forgot about that one. That is some that is some nonsense. Of course, Leslie would be quick to point out that, of course, uh, Minx was produced by Lionsgate Television and stars is owned by Lionsgate, so it makes total sense. Thank uh, goodness. I think tonally also, I think it kind of fits... It was a better fit. I feel like it will be a better fit on Stars than HBO Max. I'm not even sure because keep in mind that Stars has always had the reputation that they've tried to buck of being this 
somewhat tawdry and sensationalistic network where it was like, ooh, ooh, nudity everywhere. And part of the whole point of Minx is we're doing nudity to comment on the pervasiveness of nudity. So... I don't know. I, like, yeah, but like, you can say that about HBO. Too. Yeah, between yeah, the, out, so. the Outlander and the and the Power series and all that stuff, I feel and and P Valley. Hey, so oh, I feel hi. like they're kind of broadening up and just trying some things. I think it kind of fits. And honestly, I don't know if I could nail down exactly what Stars is or is trying to be. It's the play again. Outlander, P Valley, Heels, starring Stephen Amell, like the wrestling show. Like they they have so many weird grabs that like. Eh. And they've struggled for years to try to explain what it is that their brand is. And now that they're undergoing executive changes and all of that good stuff, uh, we'll see. I I think their brand is sexy and Minx is sexy. So I think we're set. I know know a little bit better what stars is than the CW these days. (laughs) Except that the CW, in terms of news, just also gave its first renewal of the current era All-American. Anyone All-American fans here? No, but I know it goes like, I mean, I don't have anything against it. I just don't watch it. I like what I've seen. Yeah. I really, the first I really season like what I've seen. Fun. And honestly, I'm just glad the CW isn't mm-hmm. out of business, I guess. I guess technically this means they're going to have shows next season. Yes, but if it turns out that the adjustment of the brand is to something that isn't as, I don't know, as youth friendly as it currently is, as you are, of course, Chris, among the youth. I Absolutely. I'm the youngest person in this room by at least 15 years. I would guess that is not actually technically true. I don't know. True. How old are you? Can you... <laughs> 41. Oh. I'm 30. You're the youngest. <laughs> I don't know baby. So now you know how old several people on this podcast are. Han is keeping quiet. and I'm the I'm oldest. I'm older than Dan. You are indeed. But and... you look the youngest. So, I mean, the podcast listeners can't tell because obviously yeah. it's an audio format. I guess you could like Google all of us. That feels like a lot of work, though. It really does. Also, I don't necessarily know if my age is on the internet, but it could be. I mean, somewhere it has to be also. I, you know, Dan's, cash- a, Dan's a curmudgeon at heart. So. I've also referenced when certain shows were set in in sort of the time period, you know, like high school, for example, or Yellow Jackets. Both of those shows are set right around my high school window. So oh, the math cool. is easy to figure out. Mm. I'm glad you kept that quick because I was going to be like, oh, like all in the family. <laughs> Happy days. I am not that old. <laughs> The courtship of Eddie's father. <laughs> I am neither the oldest person on this podcast right now, nor the oldest person on the podcast when Leslie is here. So. It, is, it is weird that Dan ends every night saying, good night, John boy. Oh. <laughs> what tugs I, on his ear. What can I say? <laughs> comfort TV is comfort TV. This is what happens when Leslie isn't here. Like the kids come out to play. Total anarchy. Total anarchy. Everyone is going to notice that this is a much more lively and youthful podcast. than, And they totally won't know that we're shooting this uh, in an evening after a long day of press tour, as opposed to normally when we would shoot it, which would be halfway through a morning, et cetera, which would give producer Matt much more time to edit. So... Number two, the Golden Globes returned on Tuesday night and averaged 6.25 million viewers, which is not a lot. But the only reason why that was not the all time low and our terrific colleague Rick Porter at THR let us know this. In 1995, apparently the Globes aired on TBS and drew 3.6 million viewers. Very Mm. funny. Yeah. (laughs) I don't believe we call it do that we, anymore. Do you TV know who the host was that year? I do not. Oh. Uh, wait, no. I think someone actually suggested that it might have been Claire Danes. Oh, that's why. That sounds awesome. That's no. so weird. <laughs> that, like, I want to watch it. Like, I would like to, I would rather go back and rewatch that. That's a honestly. mismatch in all ways. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's very strange. And that brings me to the next part of the conversation. To continue with the ratings, the show actually got a 1.1 rating in the 18 to 49 demographic, uh, which is an all-time low. And as I always like to mention, uh, back in the day when John Mulaney's Mulaney premiered on Fox, it premiered with a 1.0 in the key demo, and it was so humiliatingly low that not only was the show canceled uh, basically after barely over half a season, but... I coined the phrase the Mulaney line for a 1.0 in the demo to reflect exactly how low a show could get in the demo. And now Mulaney would be a comedy smash hit mm-hmm. on Fox. So I don't know. I remember R- ratings that are not yeah. Ratings are not what they used to be. <laughs> the show okay. If John Mulaney did a sitcom, I can neither guarantee or nor not guarantee that it would be, but if John Mulaney did a sitcom and it did do a 1.0 in the demo and live ratings, oh, it would I be a smash hit. Well. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But also I think it would probably do better. Because I think we, we well, know him. more more people like John Mulaney now, probably also more people dislike John Mulaney now, but you know, that would still be a draw. It would still be a draw, one way or the other. Dan, when it comes to the ratings, I'm very curious. Like, was this show streaming? Like, was this streaming on Peacock? It and was. Are those and numbers included? And, that, and they are not included. And that is the that is the sort of proviso that I would add and that, you know, we have to keep in mind is that we have no idea how many people were streaming it on Peacock. The answer is probably somewhere between 17 and 20. Um, and, you know, so, yes, they're probably a little bit less disastrous if you add in the Peacock numbers, but it's unlikely. Still pretty disastrous. It's not good, and it will continue to raise the question that I still have no answer for as to what NBC's expectations possibly could have been and what it would take for NBC to want to <laughs> re-up for another year of that fiasco. Which of you guys watched the Golden Globes. I, I did. I was about to raise my hand, but you can't see it. So, yes, I watched. And and you know what? My friends outside of the industry actually were like, oh, I forgot this was going to be on. It's like that kind of tells you it has no sort of recognition outside of Hollywood. That's too bad. And and Chris and Kayla, you guys. I watched pieces. I, like I wasn't watching it live because I wasn't near a television at the time. But like I, I watched bits and pieces that I thought were fine. But like. Who cares about the Golden Globes at this point? Like, I I was really hopeful that we could just wipe this one off the calendar for good. I, I, for the most part, I don't like award shows. I'm tired of them. But the reason why I definitely checked it out was because of them being off for a year because of controversies. Mm -hmm. And so I did want to see what was addressed in that nature. And and the answer was... Some stuff, but not really much. Like Gerard Carmichael did his monologue and it, it made people uncomfortable. And and sort of the entire thesis of his monologue was that he was hired and brought into the show because he's black. And I'm sure, obviously, that was a part of it because his point was that the controversy around the HFPA was that they had no black members. This is, of course, absolutely a part of the controversy. I have been annoyed and annoyed for two years by the fact that that has kind of usurped the fact that the controversy was significantly more significant than that. It also included large amounts of graft that they were taking. Uh, people, you didn't notice that, but Han made the uh, universal gesture for my fingers are representing money. Um, <laughs> I believe that would be how you would describe that. The Which- Emily in Paris uh, trips to critics. Um, in Ex- particular, excuse me, HFPA members. Yes, Let's yes, H- yeah, yeah, yeah. the Hollywood Foreign Press members, who I remember always when I would cover things and go to a hotel and try to eat food. They're like, no, 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 that good food is the for the Hollywood Foreign Press. You get this like 
limp bacon over here. So um, for a while, I've always known that Hollywood Foreign Press gets preferential treatment, such as trips to Paris to cover Emily in Paris and therefore boost its possibilities of getting prizes, that amazing show that everyone loves for reasons I don't understand. Um, but yeah, so that was a huge part of it because it basically is a critical organization that pays off its critics. And, and and the way they've adjusted it now, apparently, is that now they're basically paid award voters. Like, I believe my understanding is either that the new system or what is going to be the new system involves them getting paid a stipend each year to be Golden Globe voters. And I think what Ooh, where do I sign up? I think what the most recent L.A. Times story said was like seventy five thousand dollars a year would be the stipend. <gasps> what? I, I think that's insane. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's Cancel terrible. it. I'm so it's bad enough what? when Tom Cruise buys them Rolexes. But now they're also getting seventy five thousand dollars. So deeply unethical. Like I thought yeah, last year when it was gone, like. We're done. We killed it. Hurrah to us. But apparently, apparently not. And then they think that this is better because it's transparent and it allows them to basically it's whatever the amount of money is. Maybe it's not 75,000 and it's not for every member. Apparently, there are now tiers of membership. There are what? These, apparently this is a scale. Oh, they are they like, pedal members or blossom members here? <laughs> they need to like make eye contact with the teacher as they accept this money. You know, like the checks cash, the checks cash. I got to be honest. I'm. I'm kind of offended on Gerard Carmichael's behalf now that he only got $500,000 for this. I was offended when I heard that like, number. That seemed like, like a low number in general, but oh, now that I know no, that they're paying it is, it, is out, a it is a much higher number than the hosts of any other award shows. And, and I'm not just talking about the TCA awards uh, because <laughs> that goes without saying. But um, my understanding is that it's like 10 times. It's more than 10 times what yeah, but any I would, other award show. But I would argue paying. in this case, you're essentially playing the role of like publicist for the show and the organization on live television, back that money truck up to Gerard. Mm -hmm. Look, he, he got well compensated and he, he discussed how he, he called his friends, he called his publicist, whatever. And he, they came to the conclusion that something. <laughs> I mean, I was still happy the way he addressed his side of the issue, which is basically still calling them racist. Mm -hmm. And so I was happy about that, honestly, um, because just because you say that you're going to change and um, pay some people <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean you have changed. So I, I was glad he was like, I'm I took this job thinking that they still hadn't changed. So. Okay, that's true. I would also like to note, Han, you're on the TCA board. So if we wanted to talk about this whole paying members to vote thing. Well, I'm first listening. of all, also, like, I don't get paid to do my job. So. <laughs> yes, that is that is that is, a key, paid, that is yeah. a key piece of information is that the uh, TCA board none of, and its officers do not get paid for uh, for that as an activity. But also the Television Critics Association awards are not televised and therefore there is not that source of, a, of money. So... Yeah. Anyway, um, so yes, the Golden Globes happened and they were gross and there were things that won. Um, apparently, the House of the Dragon is the best drama on television. <laughs> you know, I have to say in Golden Globes past, I've always been entertained by them loving a certain like let's say comedy that's new and then just going with it for every like five years as long as the comedy continues. And 
the fact that like I hated Hot D so much that um, and they loved it. I was like, okay, that that's on brand. Oh wait, I had to understand what you were talking about when you said you hot hated D. Hot D. Hot Me D too. I was like, like what? what? Oh, House oh, of the Dragon. Everyone calls it Hot D. Hot that's D is what it's Dan. Uh, I would have hot to watch D. the show for even more than five seconds to know that. Um, for it to be a show that's very feminist, I still like calling it Hot D. Hey, respect. I like that. That's very very. That's funny. what they. That's what everyone should call it. Honestly, yeah. I liked, I liked how very clearly, let's just say inebriated, uh, both Emma Darcy and uh, Millie Alcock were when they came up on on stage uh, to help accept the award. I they, will say that is giddy. That is that is the one thing I wish that other award shows would take away from the like. This is what I wish the Oscars would take away from the Golden Globes. Like, just get everybody wasted. Yeah. To send drinks around. Because it's like at the end of the day, it's just like an random industry award show. So like, make it fun. And yeah. yet, you don't need to take it so self-serious. And yet NBC decided we need it. And uh, and so we got it. But it is currently homeless for, for next year. So we'll see who who watched what happened on Tuesday night and thought, hmm, I totally want to get in that business. Kill, now, it. Kill now, it with fire. Now's your chance, YouTube. Oh, God. Uh, but Screen Actors Guild, did they, did they just move those awards to Netflix? Is that what? Yeah, yeah. it's going to be Netflix's Live YouTube on Netflix. channel. 2024, I believe. Yeah, that's weird, right? Yeah, it's very weird that Netflix is like, oh, we have it, but it's on our YouTube channel. I, like, but I think it might also be streaming on, because I know they're working, they're coming up with live streaming events on Netflix, so I'm assuming it'll also be there, but also on, the, it's very strange. It is, it's a weird move. Are they going to start doing more sports because we are getting break point, so... I mean, they might because like Amazon has uh, Thursday night football, so like mm -hmm. it would we make do. sense. And, and, Apple, and Apple TV has baseball, and and it's all out there. And and look, this is you know it's all everyone's been saying for like five years now is the importance of live events, especially in broadcast television. So WWE oh, so may or may not be for sale. So wait, Netflix is like wait, we have a net, so tennis. <laughs> sure. We'll see. We'll see what uh, HBO and ESPN have to say. I don't know. Does HBO even air Wimbledon anymore? What ESPN has to say about giving up rights to to Netflix, or if Netflix just rolls up the wheelbarrow of money? So yes, we've now given more talk to the Golden Globes than necessarily uh, we needed to. Number three. We are currently at the Langham in Pasadena, home of the Television Critics Association press tour, winter press tour. The last time the TCA was all together for its biannual press tour was way, way back in January of 2020, at which point, I don't know, something happened and they've been, haven't had them in person for, for since then. So I don't know what's been up in the world. Uh, we came very, very oh, close. Oh, Dan. Came very, very close in the summer. You've missed a lot. Oh, okay. It's been, I've been busy. It's been a, Chris, there's been a lot of TV. Yeah. Well, you, you make a good... Oh, don't we know it? I, I had to watch uh, multiple episodes of Fox's Alert Missing Persons <laughs> Unit. How am I supposed to keep up with things Wait, that is, are happening I've, in the world? I've never heard of that. Is that real? Excuse me. Starring Golden Globe nominee Scott Kahn. <laughs> Scotty Kahn is on a Fox show called Alert? Alert. Where have you been? Have you been like... I've been watching Below news. Deck. Oh, <laughs> I am a whole I'm a universe. sophisticated human yeah. being. That was Chris getting a jump on the final question we ask our guests. What oh. have you been watching <laughs> and enjoying? The answer for Chris is Below Deck. Below Deck Med Babes. <laughs> That's how Chef Ben talks. If you say so, I have, I have no clue. Um, so yes, we, we have been doing virtual press tour for 
the past however many press tours. Anyone have an exact number of how many that is? Four? Five? <laughs> Wait, it started on Monday. No, no, not no, days. No, no. I'm talking about uh, how okay, many virtual so what have been we had. 20, 25. Five? Yeah. Excellent. Well, it is good to be back in person. It is good to be at the Langham in Pasadena, which is always a good place to go other than the daily commutes, which have been a beast. Because My commute's been awesome. <laughs> because of rain. Uh, incidentally, I mean, Regina Hall was making a joke about Kevin Costner not being able to make it to the Golden Globes because of uh, the situation in uh, Santa Barbara. And that was funny. But on the other hand, when it rains as much as it does here, stuff's dangerous. I, yeah, so. I will say, as someone who's been Ubering around Los Angeles the past few days, it's scary. It was scary out there for a little bit. So, okay, first of all, how have you guys each felt about the return to in-person and what it has added to our experience versus the Zoom press tours we had for the last five? Oh, boy. Um, as, as a board member who's had to help out with the virtual press tours since the beginning of basically my term, um, it's so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Um, first of all, it's shorter. Um, the thing about virtual press tour is that because we cannot in good faith, keep someone for, let's say, seven to 10 hours a day. We shorten our days virtually because, you know, Zoom fatigue is real. And that means it spreads out over three months. Um, here, it's 10 days. Like previously, I remember thinking, oh my God, 21 days, so long. But now 10 days, it's such a, it's so nice um, to be, to be able to make plans, basically, and not constantly have uh, two screens going because I actually had to have two computers going at a time, my work computer and then my uh, TCA computer going on. Um, so I'm happy about that. Also, the fact that I am a board member, but I'm also working with the TCA president, Melanie McFarland at salon.com. Um, so she constantly was pulled away. And so I would be like, hey, where's the story that you you you're supposed to write that I'm supposed to edit. And then she's like, well, I got pulled into a call with John Solberg or Mary Shaw or any of these other people who are parts of these networks setting up for TCAs. And so I couldn't say no to that. Um, so I'm kind of glad um, in person also just to see faces because yeah. all my friends moved away during the pandemic and now I get to see them again. <laughs> Hi. And y'all, y'all happy to be back? Um, yes, because I had... I found the virtual tours to be, and it's through no fault of TCA or the networks, but like they were just typically not nearly as useful or not nearly as filled with information. Okay. Uh, I also think that the Q&A sessions uh, virtually were arguably 5,000% too moderated uh, to where, to the point where like, I almost never got through to ask a question, even though I had questions for most things. Uh, and it was just, the, it was just the way it was. Um, I agree that it's nice to see faces, especially now that I no longer live in the, the area. It is nice to come back. It's like it, the way I've always explained TCA to people who haven't been is it's like TV reporter summer camp, except it's sometimes in the winter. Uh, it, so it's, it's good to see. And, we're following along with masking rules better than I expected. Uh, it still feels, it doesn't feel quite like tour pre pandemic, but it feels so much closer to, to it than we've been in a long time. Yeah. I'd agree with all that. Um, the big appeal for TCA for me personally is the gossip and you don't <laughs> get any of that virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, Han, thank you for your tireless efforts for making virtual TCA a thing and uh, 
but also now for making gossip possible. But also, Kayla. like, I've got, had to gossip. I got to gossip so many times. Oh, like, it's yeah. endless gossip opportunities. You can also turn to me for the breakfast report. Um, I will oh, always yeah. tell, tell you what's up. Um, and then also, I, I think I have to say, meeting in person means that I also get to reacquaint myself with um, what people are like. <laughs> I hate to say that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's like, I forgot that you and I like something, something, something. So I have, during the pandemic, started finally to watch K-dramas. I had to find people in person to talk to for it. And so I was just like, you from tvguide.com who I've never met. Uh, yes, please, let's sit down and talk about um, this Oh, you met Kat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Kat is someone who actually, I hate to say this, I interviewed for salon.com and I wanted to hire her. We weren't able to. Um, so now, so I, now I follow her, her career with great interest and, and I'm just like, Kat, let's talk. Um, yes. So I'm happy about that because I have not been able to talk with anyone else about gay dramas. No, that's phenomenal. That is what that is what in person press tour is about. Uh, is well, being able to talk about K drama. Well, okay. So on the reporting front, <laughs> I do have to say I am more likely to the the point about press tour is yes, you can request one on one interviews, but I also like the fact that because there is a surfeit of uh, TV shows that you don't get to watch all of them. However, if you go to press tour, you can sit in a panel and actually get a more of a feel for the stories in the room and. Other things that maybe are more intangible virtually, and it will make an impression on you, and you can be like immediately send an email off to the publicist and just like, hey, when you actually premiere, let's set this, this, and this up. Um, I'm more likely to do that than virtual. Virtual, I hate to say it, you do kind of tune out mm-hmm. after a while. You do. And you don't want to, but it's just because you have screens going on all the time. Um, so I think also talking to publicists in person helps a lot because things come up that you don't think about when you are creating a formal email. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, there's a lot of value in press tour on a very boring front of doing our jobs. Um, but the social aspect, of course, is very important. And yes, fun food. And the lack of technical difficulties. That to me is so much where it, where it comes into it yeah. because, because yeah. simply the ability to ask questions and be confident that there isn't going to be a lag uh, to be able to do follow-up questions and be confident that you didn't have your virtual mic cut. You know, all of, all of the things in which having a, you know, actual conversation, which is look, Zoom is better than nothing. Zoom is so much better than nothing. And the fact that you guys, Han and the board, were able to keep the lights on for five tours is remarkable, but so much better. I, I like the fact that people understand virtual now so that it can be used as an additional tool because I think it's great for accessibility, right? Especially when people live all around the country. So tour itself in person, great. But also, yes, let the networks continue using virtual for other things. And um, I, I do have to say, despite it being one of the learning moments of press tour virtual, uh, virtual press tour was that the first day that FX tried to present, they thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to show the actual reporters talking? <laughs> Which was hilarious to me because I was like, all these people during the pandemic had their pandemic hair. And also, we are reporters, so not necessarily looking our best. We are behind screens. We're not like in front of cameras. And so (laughs) after that, they realized really quickly, like, maybe let's not put people like the reporters on the screen. Let's just keep it on the uh, talent. I missed missed that. I would like to be That was funny. Because I'm pretty sure that for most of the Zoom virtual panels, I wasn't wearing pants. So I'm sort of glad. It was only one. It was only one. But I did realize. you're not wearing pants now. (laughs) Not supposed to 
destroy the illusion, Chris. <laughs> it's all about the illusion. I like the sock garters, I have to say. So... <laughs> Returning to the actual substance of the tour, uh, we're recording this on Thursday evening, and we just finished uh, a full day of FX panels and presentations, which meant the triumphant in-person return of the mayor of television and three-time TV's top five guest, John Landgraf, doing his his annual state of television address and state of peak TV. And so... The biggest takeaways of this, and some of this is stuff that John has said before. Uh, uh, Joe Dalian had a great Vulture interview with him that also ran today. Um, and so, you know, my graph is out there saying this stuff. The number of programs, original scripted programs for adults. I like that he wants to emphasize that just in case we count Bluey. Um, and I do. And most sane people apparently do. Alan Sepinwall is enraged. The idea that Bluey is not included in the tally is 599 scripted programs for 2022, which is too bad because I feel like somebody needed to push one show up into... into like, did it, can we count like one YA? Like... As or, adult or something? Or something like Paul T. Goldman, which premiered on, on January 1st, which is technically unscripted, but whatever. I think they I think somebody could have pushed that one up to someone the could someone could have saved a Quibi and like bumped it up to another network and like made six hundred. Hello. That's the thing. If Roku like recuts <laughs> a Quibi show into longer episodes, like does Ooh. that count? You have to ask you have to ask the mayor that. I, I cannot answer. I thought this. he was gonna that's the only reason I came to this. I thought he was going to be here. That's a very, like, if a tree falls in the woods <laughs> kind of question. But yes. So so Landgraf says 599, but he also, and this is something he's been predicting, says it's about to go down. And I believe he said possibly 23%. Did he say that for this year or coming up? What was the exact tally of that? I, I, <laughs> I don't recall. I, remember. I do remember him being very honest and saying, like, it's going to come down. I've been wrong about this twice before. <laughs> but I also appreciate it because, like, eventually he'll be right. Yeah, eventually you he'll know? be right. Like, it could be a decade later. But and then eventually... we're all going to be like, Landgraf called it. Yeah. That's and, and therein lies one of the great things and the things that I like to say about John Landgraf when other publicists go, why do you love John Landgraf so much? And the answer to that question is very simple. He comes out. Yeah. yeah, he answers questions. He <laughs> has he, numbers. He, yeah, he he has the, he sh he shows up ready to present. Yeah, and then he's gonna take your questions and he's gonna give you full answers for it. He doesn't dance around things really. And it's so nice. and so, if he has indeed gotten wrong a couple times that the end of peak TV was coming, well, a he coined the darn phrase, so he can be wrong about that if he wants at least a couple times, but also. He admits it. He gives his methodology. He goes through the bar graphs. So many bar graphs. Oh, my goodness. Lots of bar graphs. <laughs> if you if, if that is your kink, then you definitely want to at some point catch a John Landgraf uh, annual presentation because the man's I really got, wish they'd film it and like show it in the middle of the night on FX. <laughs> the man's got bar graphs. Um, but yes. Yeah, so what else? What else stood out about about uh, Landgraf's presentation? What what stood out? He talked about a bunch of stuff he talked about. I mean, I. It, it, for me, the big thing I went in hoping for was something about Noah Hawley's, Noah Hawley's alien. Yes. And I didn't get that. But like, we know that they're planning to start filming this year. But like two years ago, they're like, it could debut as early as 2023. I'm like, well, it's 2023 now. Maybe we'll get like, I don't know. Noah Hawley casts somebody in the show. I So like, 
I understand why they, they've got to get through Fargo. I was going to say, Noah Hawley is currently in production on the fifth season of Fargo. Yeah, and, and, he had, and, yeah he decided yeah, he wanted to do a new Fargo. And according to Landgraf, he is deeply invested in pre-production on Alien. But like, man, I... That's the FX thing I can't wait to see above all else. So I was like so ready. We got and we got clip reels. We got a clip reel for Shogun, which I am very, very curious. Mm -hmm. I was about. really excited about that. Made me like really, really hyped about Shogun. I really hope that they can like deliver it. But the the real look good. Yeah. I've always been wary about Shogun. Yeah. Um, you know, based on James Clavell's novel starring Richard Chamberlain in the original mm -hmm. adaptation. So like very westernized point of view. Supposedly it has more of an eastern sort of balanced point of view here. Um, that half of the production is filmed or shot in Japan with actual Japanese actors, not Japanese American or other Asian American actors, that type of stuff. I'm still wondering about it, but it was a very beautifully produced clip looks what great. we saw so on a visual scale i think it looks good who knows about the narrative or any of that other stuff yeah so. it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how they avoid the sort of colonialist fetishizing that that is in the book i you know i read the book last year and i think and i really think it is a very good book but i think it is a book that has a lot of things that are uh but gently problematic about it. So yeah, I, it, it's it's something like, hey, look, I enjoyed that miniseries when I was a kid watching it, and um, didn't really think about those things. But also, kind of like as I was kept watching things like, of that nature, like you know, the memoirs of a geisha or whatever it is, that I was just like, this is disturbing for some reason. <laughs> so it, it, there's a sort of a critical mass of this type of just westernized point of view that I would, I I do trust FX, especially after. I'm sure they've heard enough backlash from the initial announcement that they are trying to do it right. Um, so I'm not going to, you know, pass judgment on it yet. So, but I am curious. Yeah, it's about been a, it's doing. been a ten year development process on this. It was originally, I believe, set up at Fox, and it was. Um, they went through multiple sets of scripts and producers and showrunners trying to get things right, and so uh, obviously that is so far from a guarantee that they will. But it's. Uh, proof that they at least tried so we'll see that's that's premiering yeah at some point in 2023 okay. i they you know they said 2023 but obviously based on the stuff that we saw it has a lot of scope and presumably that requires a lot of post-production i mean it's not like they it looks big and beautiful yeah it, does, it, it yeah. absolutely does so um i will also say i appreciated his polite honesty about hulu uh, yeah, it's the, the question was brought up. Why doesn't FX have like a landing page thumbnail, much like Disney, Star Wars, et cetera, do on Disney plus. Um, and he, he like he was right in that like FX isn't superheroes. FX isn't space. It's I think he said FX is the human condition. And I was like, OK, you've 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 had this line in mind for a while. I respect it. But the, the way he spoke about Hulu was like on the money it is a it is a streaming service that is in dire need of a user interface overhaul totally because unless you're specifically looking for fx content you're not gonna know it's on there well but keep in mind that the initial and this is obviously something that we've talked about many times on the podcast that the initial pitch was that there was going to be the fx on hulu pitch and it was shows were going to be fx on hulu and instead they decided to phase out fx on hulu and now we have the sort of much more ambiguous and perplexing FX, FX presents 
Hulu's whatever or FX's Hulu's whatever. It's really hard for us to write mm-hmm. and I <laughs> and it confuses me almost every show that I do. And Landgraf insists that ultimately it's not really a problem because ultimately all of the FX programming, whatever it is, will have the FX Chiron bug, whatever you want to say, on it. And and that'll be it. And then ultimately people will watch it on on Hulu for the most part. Like there's a there is a <laughs> there is a there is an FX network, but <laughs> but that's the thing. I like. I don't like. Is everything going to Hulu first now, or does no. they? No, because impeachment the wasn't day? there. Because and like, yeah, I'm assuming some of the Ryan Murphy years. stuff that's been around for a long time yeah. has deals where it has to air broadcast first. And I think most. I think most of the, or a lot of most, is clearly not true at this point. But um, but a lot of the programming is still airs on Hulu, then it pops up, on, or airs on FX and then pops up on Hulu at night. But there's less and less of that, and and more and more of it's on Hulu. And then he talked also about how it was a case by case thing on which things are presented to binge. And I'm still not sure. I, I did find that really interesting because he said that uh, once they get the cuts of episodes, there's an FX team and then Hulu team, and they consult with the Hulu team and then figure out if that's like worth the binge watch model, which like, yeah. what, uh, what, can I talk to that team? Yeah. Like, what I, does that mean? I was one of those people who was like, why did we have to drop the bear all at once? Cause I really wanted, people eventually did discover it, which is great. I'm happy for them. Mm-hmm. But I honestly would have liked at least even half binges because I wanted people to wait and discover and like keep on watching it. But I understand like that's well the decision they made, but yeah, uh, I've, I felt like I was behind on it because it like did the Netflix sort of binge drop or the, whatever the binge drop. So, well, and I, I've definitely with that show specifically, like I would be very, I would be very curious to see what a weekly release would be like making the audience sort of sit with the tension of that show from week <laughs> to week. Like I, I love that feeling. I, I, I will forever be a staunch supporter of watching week to week is better than binging because I like watching week to week and then being able to talk to someone about like this thing that happened next week and what we think it'll mean for the week after that. But like that is such, that show specifically is such a very stressful show that like sitting with that for an entire week sounds. Which I, which I thought was probably a good idea for why they did it this way. And also the sort of the half hourness of it, like for example, the 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 seventh episode, the vaunted seventh episode with the with the oneer, that that's only a twenty minute episode of TV. Like if I were if I were watching on a weekly basis, I I don't want to say I would think that that was a ripoff, but I would be like, man, that was an incredibly tense episode of television, but it was also over in twenty minutes. Now what am I supposed to do? But that, of course, is what broadcast sitcoms simply do so well that's why i like the idea of like double pumping episodes so like certain things you can do the halfway binge Mm. um and i'm the type of person who sometimes makes mini binges myself just like i will wait for a week so there's four episodes for me to watch because i watched one episode and i'm very unsatisfied so i'm just gonna like let some gather um i am curious to see because they didn't root they didn't indicate what season two, how that's going to be released, right? So if they're going to decide to continue the drop, the full binge drop, or if they're going to do a weekly or some other model. I just think since it worked, there would be no reason to change it. And it really clearly did work. Uh, John had a less convinced, had sort of an explanation for the value for the binge model for Kindred where I didn't feel like it yeah. worked no. as well. No, I don't think so at all. But I think like there's a lot that came out then and it just kind of got shuffled. 
But then it wasn't Fleischman Weekly and that exactly yeah. prob- that probably could have been benefited yeah. by like a, a binge. That's how I ended up watching it because I couldn't stop. And it's and it's hard for me to necessarily tell, you know, it's just always hard to tell whether thing people are sticking with the shows to the end and whether it's everyone who's sticking with it or whether, you know, so definitely it felt like people were getting to the end of Fleischman. It felt like when they got to the big emotional Claire Danes episode, people were being impressed at the time, et cetera. But you just you just never know. And similarly, when it got to the end of The Patient, some people, it felt like, were still there. But I truly think that's a show that might have benefited either from a binge or from a two, a, a five and five model or something. Because I, I just didn't feel like by the time it got to the end that there was a that there was a, a snowball. I, I definitely didn't feel like there was a snowball effect. And sometimes you can sense a snowball effect. Yeah. They need to get one of us in there. Yeah. Tell them. <laughs> well, it's an insane model, but I actually kind of like HBO Max's model. Like their current is normally like three episodes, then two, then two, then two, which is bonkers. But if you did two, 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 I think two episodes. Yeah, two a week episodes is a week nice. would be great. And, yeah. and with a half hour show, I can see how that would work. The problem is you just don't know from show to show whether an HBO Max show is actually doing that model. And sometimes the Hulu show, sometimes the straight up Hulu, not Hulu FX, sometimes those shows do two to start off with. Sometimes they do three. Sometimes they just do one. It's all the confusion of the process. And we talk about it on um, the day. In addition to John Landgraf featured a couple other fun panels. We, uh, we got to watch the father son duo of Timothy Oliphant and uh, Vivian Oliphant banter about the fact that they're playing father and daughter. And I say father and son, I met father daughter because that's what they are uh in justified city primeval uh so that was a panel we did as you mentioned have a panel for the bear where they spoiled virtually nothing about what's coming in the upcoming season so. uh, because they haven't i don't think they filmed it yet they, no, they, they haven't, haven't done anything yet. but the scripts are all written yeah. apparently yeah. oh so. well sure um and yeah so did anyone come away with anything from any of those panels or I liked Timothy Oliphant more than I did before the panel. I have a weird relationship with Timothy Oliphant where like, mm-hmm. A, his best movie is Die Hard 4. Um, uh, but beyond okay. that, like his, be- his best movie is either Go or The Girl Next Door. Or Scream 2 or <laughs> Die Hard 4. But um, I've, I've not seen Justified and based oh. on the clip we saw of Primeval and like also after seeing him just I'm assuming play the same character on the Mandalorian. Um, like just because he joked sarcastically about it doesn't mean it was exactly well, but he, true. Like, though it wasn't like, exactly a lie. They're right. similar. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very similar. Like it, it has me interested enough to where I'm gonna go on Hulu and search for 15 hours to try to find the original Justified episode. Justified, you'll enjoy. And watch that. Watch that first show before, and then kind of, and then go into Primeval from there. So, like at the, at the very least, the panel made me want to watch it. Five sixths of Justified is excellent. There is one season that is bad. But is on the Walton other hand, Goggins in that season? He is. But okay. It's not his fault that it's bad, but it's just bad. But on the other hand, there's one season that's bad. That's season four. But then there's also multiple seasons that are fantastic. And season two is about as good as it gets. And, you know, if you haven't seen season two of Justified, you just don't understand why everyone loves Margot Martindale and Caitlin Deaver as much as they do. And... They are both so, so good. I love Caitlin Deaver because of that Dodge. Michael Sarah movie she was in. I love Margot Martindale because of Bojack. <laughs> Noted character actor. Why actress. would anyone think it was funny to talk about character actress Margot Martindale if it weren't for season two of Justified? I mean, fair. I mean, she's lost in other, other stuff too. She has, but most of Like, but, I know who she is and I've never seen yeah, Justified. See, right so. there. But that's because you've been able to see all the things she's done since because she became Emmy winner character actress Margot Martindale. Oh, okay. I'll take that. At the time, I mean, people knew who she was, but she was 
She no, was just, I get it. Dan. She was you just think oh, she had no career before. Yeah, Justified. this is what I'm hearing. Um, yeah. So like Justified, I'm I'm into that. That they that panel convinced me to watch that show, which is great. I was already going to be sold on the bear. I appreciate they didn't give anything away, but like as someone who was with it throughout the first season, I have no idea what a season two for this show looks like. And I still don't know uh, after jittery, sitting down. Hand, lots of handheld. Uh, lots I mean, of handheld, lots of cursing. Lots of cursing. I mean, if they gave you the description of season one, you still probably wouldn't have figured out what it was about. Yeah, so, see, it's such a tone show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's, I'm fine with not knowing anything and just going for the ride because I think that's what the Barrow season one was. Um, I'm thinking something I also appreciate, but I don't know if the panel exactly got me excited. I watched the screener for it, which was Dear Mama, um, mm-hmm. the five-part documentary series about Tupac and his mom, Afeni uh, Shakur. And I just, the amount of archival footage they use, but also all the talking heads and all the, I mean, how many rappers can you get? But it's just like, it's its kind of fascinating to see that and kind of get a richer sort of contextual look at Tupac as far as um, his influence and impact, but also where he got it from. I also love, this is something that you can feel in the room more, is how all the old journalists in the room have somehow talked to Tupac at some point in their career. Yeah, that, that blew my mind. Everyone's like, yeah, when we were talking to I Tupac. I missed this panel. Are you serious? Yeah. And I was like, what? Well, it was people specifically talking about like doing the press junket for Poetic, like poetic justice. justice. Yeah. It wasn't just like, yeah, I was I was hanging with Tupac. You don't know that. <laughs> I was yeah, with him like, in Vegas at the fight. Come on. I wasn't thinking through all of that as I was like live tweeting the panel or working on whatever I was working on. I was just like, I'm sorry, what? I always like all the uh, sort of these these older people coming out as like somehow really big authorities on hip hop and rap during press tour. And that's the other thing I think I missed about press tour in person was it's not just the camp aspect, but it's also the old young sort of like mix of the I used to file my, you know, newspaper stories and run to the editor or whatever it was and um, and lay out the print myself or whatever. So I, I kind of like having that sort of like wealth of journalism experience um, in Han, the same room. Back in 2003 and 2004, when we covered our first press tours for zaptoit.com, uh, a fine dead website that employed uh, 75% of the people on this podcast. Kayla, what's wrong with you? How did you never work for zaptoit.com? I baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was dead before you popped in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yes, we were the young people then. Now we're the old hip-hop heads. Yeah, I remember. Well, I'm not even a hip-hop head. Like, I would love to be. But um, yeah, I remember being the young person, but also just like transcribing my own um, interviews. You remember some of the stories I had to write uh, about third wave journalism for the Pussycat Dolls. Yes, the, ne- the, the famous McG panel where he talked about the Pussycat Dolls reality show on uh, probably it was the, had to be probably the WB, didn't Probably. it? Probably the WB. I remember watching that. Yeah, I wrote a story about how he called that third wave feminism. He was very, that pr- was he was very proud of that. I that and I. This is the part of press tour that I missed that we haven't gotten yet. Like the utterly ridiculous things that happen. Someone like, casually like, mentioned that they believed in ghosts, like during a question. That, and and that's still like, nothing. That's not. That's not. Mariah Carey <laughs> literally sat on humans as chairs he for has, her panel. We've had a couple people drop trow. 
before oh, Ed many people, yes. Peter yeah. Poland dropped his pants. Uh, uh, did Bob Odenkirk? Or Bob was, Odenkirk yes. showed us his tattoo. Bob Odenkirk, who was here for his upcoming AMC show, Lucky Not Hank. Not better call Saul. And uh, seemed... He's, he seems to be in a good place right now. I'm happy he, for I him. wish he would have taken a break. I, I also, yeah. which is, which was, which was sort of the point of my question to him is when this script came around, did you think I'd love to do this in two years and not be the lead in a TV show again? But he is. Um, so yes, there's plenty of time though for crazy shit to happen because uh, we are only in day four uh, tomorrow being the day this podcast drops, we have Disney Plus and Nat Geo, then there's Hulu and the Onyx Collective, then there's NBC Universal, the good people at PBS are doing two days, and then we're wrapping with like 85 panels for Apple TV Plus. I'll, they I'll are, be gone by then. They are Same. drowning us in <laughs> Apple. So uh, maybe that will be stuff that will be discussed next week. Uh, hopefully, Leslie will be around, but if she's not, this is pretty fun, too. Um, yeah, I, you can just zoom me in from Florida because I'll be back home by that point. Oh, my God. Both of us. We'll both be in you Florida. You want to come over? Yeah, yeah. We could we could tune in together. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Number four. In lieu of doing a typical Critics Corner this week, where I begin by saying, oh my God, there's too much fucking TV. And then mm. I go on to uh, give brief reviews of somewhere between eight and 10 shows. Um, we are instead going to have a little chat about the only new show of the weekend that anyone actually cares about, which is, of course, HBO Max's Velma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I'm Kaling still Hive, that. rise up. Mm hmm. Uh huh. That, that is a show that exists. Uh, how much have you watched? I haven't watched any, actually. I oh. want to. I'm very psyched about it. it you shouldn't be. How about, no! How about, no just, like, okay, how about let's, this is just going to be an, an attitude readjustment so that you're not overly excited about it. It's a mess. I, I love Sam Richardson. <laughs> it's, like. well, and sure, and he's funny. He he voices Shaggy, and that's funny, and there Zoics, is no Scooby-Doo. Um, I thought you were going to That's a pretty about... good impression. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the Machinai. Uh I've heard, I mean, uh, uh, Angie Han wrote a very, very positive review of, uh, of the Machinai, which is on uh, Netflix and um, involves food and... And uh, young geishas. And young geishas. Uh, oh. Geishas in training. It, I mean, it, it actually, it sounds 
Good. It, it sounds delightful. Honestly, if <laughs> there was a fun. show called Geishas in Training, I would probably but watch it, it just to see what that's like. It's yeah. cooking for Geishas in Training, so there's a lot what? of comfort Japanese food. I want to watch that go. even faster. Can we just watch that instead of recording the rest of this yes, episode? It premieres, I believe it premieres tomorrow. I could be wrong. Or Friday. So I wonder if I have screeners. Oh, man. You can't get screeners unless you ask. And I, I'm downloading this for the plane. I asked and they gave it Saturday. to me too late. Yes, that is. That is <laughs> How dare they? Rude. Netflix is. Doing sometimes with international for, for Japanese things. Although I'm glad I got Alice in Borderland season two in head. No, I mean, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, did too. Italian Love stuff. All, Italian stuff. Also, yes. the the Elena Ferranti show that premiered last week. Uh, the, lying, the name I can never. The remember. Lying Lives of Liars yes, or yes. something. Uh, lying Life Lie. of Adults is, I believe, what it is actually called, and which is a, a good show. And yeah, they didn't send out screeners. Anyway, of course, actually, the thing that people are talking about this weekend is uh, Sunday's. Premiere of The Last of Us on HBO and part of the fun of this fine group that we assembled is that we have two fanatical video game fans who are big fans of The Last of Us. Um, me, I watched the show but did not watch the video games. A shout out to former colleague Shannon O'Connor who served as my video game Sherpa and answered any questions that I had. Thank you, Shannon. And then we have Han who hasn't played the video games or watched the series. Um <laughs> And we'll have many, many, many opinions as we go along. I edited one story about the video game controversies before the show, but that's about it. I know who Pedro Pascal is, and um, oh, the Mandalorian. Yeah, Beautiful. and and um, uh, what's her face? See, apparently you clearly know Bella, Bella Ramsey. Ramsey. Bella Ramsey. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. That would be who I'm told is from Game of Thrones. I wouldn't know. She, oh my god! She, she died a horrible death. But she also was very good about supporting some of the good Starks, and she was very yes, devoted. She was great. Wait, she died in the show? She also played a witch in a series. What series was that? <laughs> something that's something called the witch, something <laughs> little witch. Little witches? She went to I, a witch I'm school. Up sounds. The Babysitter's Club? No, it's a witch. <laughs> what? Wait that's a second. One, wait a second. One. Wait a second. Who watched the trailer for Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, today. No. no. I, w I, I, my job, I starred the email so I could watch it later. <laughs> Same. I read the book. <laughs> Strong recommendation for the trailer for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Like, seriously? Like a no, sarcastic or a genuine? No, is it good? The trailer absolutely has Babysitter's Club vibes. Oh, okay. and uh And the book, I mean, obviously I haven't read the book in 35 years probably, but I read the book when I was a kid and it was a, you know, and and they get quality uh, use out of I must, I must, I must, it must increase, increase my must. Yes. It, is, okay. it is a key part of the trailer. So anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. That's all I needed that because I remember that and I remember periods. That's all I remember from it. Bella Ramsey starred in 40 episodes of a show called The Worst Witch. It's, oh, is that on Netflix? I feel I, like we no, covered that. It is. Yeah, I feel she played. She played. I know you guys really care about this. She played Mildred Hubble. Yeah, that was my favorite character of that year. <laughs> really? Are you sure it wasn't Leanna Mormont? That was my second favorite. Oh, okay, character. Leanna Mormont was the character she played on Game of Thrones, and she was fantastic. She, she was. was sure. She was probably one of the very best parts of the last couple of seasons when everything was kind of going off the rails. But she she kept being the person who everyone was like, "Yeah, go crazy, girl!" Um, and she was awesome. And she's also quite excellent. In, she's great. Uh, Oh my god, yeah. I was very, very scared with this casting just because like that character's really hard. Ellie in The Last of Us, she knocked it out of the park. Like, yeah, yeah. So okay, guy. Uh for those for those of you who have played the game, talk a bit about each of you about your relationship with the game and maybe your fears or hopes as you went into the series. 
Do you want to go first? Yeah, I could go first. So I feel like I got to talk about my relationship as a gamer. Like I play video games, but I like I kind of have like a handful every year that I dive into. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Last of Us, they came to late, I think 2015, 16. And the second I started playing it, like I was completely on board. Like the first 50 minutes of that game are heart-wrenching. They're just so good. And they're so devastating. And uh, within like, oh, uh, you play as Joel, who is a survivor of the kind of like a zombie apocalypse, but it's like fungi-related zombies. Uh, Mushroom people. Mushroom people, yeah. Yeah. Something (laughs) tragic happens to him, and then he becomes a surrogate father figure for Ellie, who is the only person who is immune to this disease that's like ruined all of humanity and the earth. But uh, yeah, like very quickly within the game, I was like, this is my daughter. This Mm -hmm. is my baby Ellie. Mm -hmm. And if you mess with her, I will kill you. So yeah, I adored The Last of Us. The Last of Us Part 2 I bought immediately, like whenever it came out. Yeah, I sobbed on the ground for like two hours after I finished playing that one. Like, I love The Last of Us so much. I am deeply biased in its favor. I will acknowledge that. I, I yeah I fully agree I, I found it a bit earlier I, I it was about a year after it came out I was I literally I went to Nova Scotia to s- stay with a friend for a vacation and they said what do you want to do while you're here I was like honestly I'm exhausted I just want to like hang out and play video games they're like have I got the game for you and I just played through the last of us over the course of like three or four days I would play it in spurts when I could. And when I was like, I need a break from all the sadness and heartache. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, how do I explain? I feel like when you say it's a zombie story, that's so, it's just unkind to it because yeah. zombie stories are the walking dead. And look, I understand there are people out there who love the walking dead, uh, but like the walking dead is a very, Ultimately, I would say a very surface level zombie story. This is a this is such a a smaller show, a smaller story with a much bigger scope. Like because essentially, the the thrust of the game is Joel and Ellie are like traveling across the country together in the midst of this. It's twenty years after this fungi outbreak that has killed everyone, um, and. So much of the games and now, thank God, the show are about these little character moments between these two people who are just getting to know each other, but have to trust each other with their lives because there's nobody else to trust. And it just it's such a well done story. Uh, Neil Druckmann is the writer of the game. And he it's it's a story he had been writing on since college. Like he first came up with the like what the very, very basics of the idea way back when and just continued to do it over and over and over again mm-hmm. until Naughty Dog, the yep. game studio yep. after the success of I think it was after the success of Uncharted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like, like it was right after this? Uncharted. Yeah. And it's so well done. There's a reason it's beloved by gamers. Uh, and now. You you mentioned like what are the what's the scary part? Oh. Video game adaptations do not have a strong history in this world, unless we're talking about the two perfect films, Super Mario Brothers, starring oh, yeah. John Flawless. Leguizamo, and Street Fighter the movie. Yep. Now, um, <laughs> and I guess Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, but like, this is why I normally do the critics' corner all by myself. That's right. <laughs> um, 
what's what's really interesting is this is so this is Sony because Naughty Dog is a Sony studio, so this is a Sony product, and this is Sony taking an honest stab at uh, adapting one of their projects in the way it deserves. They sort of tried to do that with Uncharted last yeah. year. But like but Uncharted's a weird one because Uncharted's basically playing Indiana Jones. Yes. Like it's Indiana Jones the game and it's a delightful game because Indiana Jones is delightful. But we already have those movies. Exactly. So you don't need those movies. Yeah. And so but this I I am so pleased to say is every bit as good as I want it to be. It does really good respecting the canon of the show. Where it strays, it actually does things that are better than the game, I would argue. And you get the character development that you can't have when you're just walking around shooting arrows and pistols at zombies. I would say, I don't know. For me, the game is still superior, but mm-hmm. like I also agree with everything you're saying. So it's yeah. like it's like a weird thing. Like the, uh, the big joy of the game for me is like you're playing the game, you're playing as Joel, and there's a lot of moments where you have to do dumb video game things like move a ladder or like push a raft. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're doing these like really dumb puzzly things, like Ellie's beside you telling you dumb jokes and stuff, and it feels really organic. Like you feel like you are like slowly kind of like coming to love this like surrogate daughter. And you can't have that in a show because like I love Pedro Pascal, but I cannot watch him just like walk slowly through a field for an whole hour yeah, while Bella Ramsey asks him questions. Like, that is not engaging TV. So by the very format... I disagree. <laughs> I want to watch that cut. Yeah. But the very format kind of, like, takes a little bit of the charm away. It's a little bit more like fight, fight, big set piece, big set piece, big set piece. But, like... I, it's flo- it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. It's such a good adaptation. The series, of course, adapted partially by uh, Neil Druckmann, but it's adapted with Craig Mazin, who, of course, everyone knows from his work. Uh, the Hangover 2. And, yeah. and Scary Movie 3, Scary Movie 4, and Superhero Movie. And yet, somehow, with those as the things on his resume, that and having been Ted Cruz's former college roommate. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, you didn't know that I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that oh, for an hour. Did not like Ted Cruz. He, oh, shocking. No, I know. No, shredding, shredding Ted Cruz on, on Twitter has was was previously one of the best things that Craig Mazin had ever been involved in, but then Craig Mazin made Chernobyl for HBO, which is about as uh, off of one's previous course as anything I've seen in recent memory. Uh, And then he did this, which actually makes more sense next to uh, Chernobyl. But it also shows you sort of his sense of kind of the epic scope of tragedy, but also the intimate possibilities of exploring the lives of people whose lives are turned upside down by tragedy. And that's a lot of why this works. Uh, I don't mind a comparison to Walking Dead. What I keep saying is, it's kind of the version of Walking Dead that was Walking Dead at its best, which Walking Dead maybe mm-hmm. was yeah. for five or six episodes total in its yeah. run. Yeah. Then Walking Dead had a long time where it was decent and you would kind of latch on to the characters you cared about or latch on to the, ooh, it's a, you know, it's the zombie in the well who's really bloated. Like, okay, great, we'll go with that. Um, and then it finally got to the point where you couldn't even do that. But it, so it, it's... The good version of Walking Dead, it also, in my review, I compared it to to Station Eleven, which is another 
post-apocalyptic, here's how humanity continues after humanity has been wiped out. Here are the things that are important to us as humans. Uh, and here's the desperation and here's what it does to people. Here's how it makes some people far worse. Here's how it makes some people far better. And so, as you say, Chris, it's it's them going across the country. And so they go from one enclave after another of, of people surviving in the ways that they survive. And some of them are surviving in utterly horrifying and disgusting ways. And others of them are surviving in ways that look civilized and maybe aren't. And then some of them are doing the best they can and it's not really all that good. And what it does is it gives these great opportunities for, for people to come in for an episode or two and people who you maybe couldn't get for a full series because they're doing other series or they're too busy. You know, Melanie Linsky is extremely busy. She's, and she's so good. She's phenomenal. Like, she plays a brand new character. Yeah, for she's a brand new show. character. for the game. Well, and the, the thing I, I like about this show is I feel like one of the, like in, in its first few seasons, The Walking Dead got a lot of flack for having these big pieces of time where there wasn't really any action. And that's true, but it felt like the show didn't know what to do with those big chunks of time. Here, there are full episodes. There are episodes where you might not see. They're called clickers in this world because mm -hmm. they make clicky sounds and they have weird mushroom heads. Uh, you might not see a clicker for the entire episode, but like between interactions with other humans and just the character development going on, like I was so deeply engaged. And also like it, it kind of like acts to the show's benefit. You don't see as many clickers in the game. You're constantly fighting clickers and uh, just all clickers and scumbags. And, yeah. And in fact, you're murdering people left, right and center because it's a video game. I, like, I will say you yeah, have to. one of the first things you do in the game as Joel is murder like Dozens oh my god, immediately. Immediately, like right out the yeah. gate, you're just mowing people down. Shockingly, that is not like it, the show makes him a bit more of a sympathetic character. Yeah, and that's always been a bit of a disconnect between the game and its like message, which is like, you know, revenge equal bad. Um, and like, you know, we need to work together and trust each other for, you know, the good of humanity. Based on the looks on both your faces, I feel as if the ultimate message is actually revenge equals fun. So. Well, actually, <laughs> well. like, that's the problem. Well, not problem, because I, I think The Last of Us is about as perfect of a video game as you can get. But the gameplay is so much fun. So it's like, yes, I do acknowledge revenge is terrible and it's bad to murder people. But boy, it was fun to shiv that guy. And and honestly, that's that's the kind of thing that would not work. Yeah. On a television show because you're not in control. Unfortunately, I hate to tell people now, you are not in control of Pedro Pascal on this show. Um, like he is in control of himself or the script, whatever. Uh, so like, I was gonna say, the writer of yeah, Scary Movie Three is actually uh, you're in control. Damn of right. <laughs> and like, so changes had changes had to be made to that end. But like, I think they serve they they service the story being told so well because it is it is a it's a completely different medium. You can't. I, I spoke to Neil and Craig about this exact thing. And Neil's thing was like, I love the game. If we just put the game on TV, it would be a terrible television show. And he's absolutely. right. He's yeah, he absolutely right. And definitely, I found the first episode to be a little, not necessarily slow, but familiar. I, I just, I think we've, I, I listed in my review, all of the pandemic apocalyptic shows that we've had just in the past few years, that there was The Stand, there was Station Eleven, just a lot of shows that have done 
not identical, but similar versions of the, okay, well, now the moss has grown over the city and no one's there. Now we're walking on the freeway and there are the husks of all the cars that were burnt out in the traffic jams as people tried to escape. Sort of the visuals that pop up in the first episode didn't work as well for me. The second episode, though, I, I thought worked much better and it becomes scary. And I thought the effects on the clickers and bloaters and whatever it is, once again, thanks, Shannon O'Connor, for uh, successfully telling me what things were. I, I appreciated that. Uh, there's more of them. And they work and they work really well. They, they are scary and disturbing and they're very different from the Greg Nicotero zombie effects from Walking Dead, which obviously are fantastic. I mean, yes. those, those oh, are wonderful. great. But I also did get tired of them. Yeah, this is the, these them. things look different in a way that we really haven't seen yeah. any sort of post-apocalyptic show before, and it like it looks really cool. I will say the I this I was talking about this with someone the other day. The thing that bothers me about this show is anytime they get to like a settlement or a, a piece of a city that's been like locked down and in control of the people, there's always junk cars strung across the street. And I'm like, you guys have been here for 20 years. Yeah. How have you not pushed these out of the road? Seriously. Yet? Like once like, again, when this you, is a thing yeah, when that, you see yeah. the big like military truck driving around the burnt out cars in the middle of the road, I'm like, you guys, you're not planning this well at all. Yeah. No if, wonder you haven't cured this. You can't even figure out how to clean the street. They've got other things to worry about. And and you see a lot of the other things they have to worry about in, in some of the more human episodes. The third episode is is sort of the breakout episode. Yeah. It is the episode that That's incredible. It is the episode that's gonna hook people. It is it is it is my favorite hour of TV in a very long time. And it's yeah, seventy five minutes. So uh, Oh, this is my favorite hour and fifteen minutes of TV. But it is basically it's a showcase for, for Nick Offerman and for Murray Bartlett who are guest stars in that episode. And they're, and they're just tremendous. They're, they're and, so good in that. And episode. worth noting, uh, it's, it's played differently than it is in the game by quite a bit. Yeah. And like, I think in a better way, more interesting way Yeah, that kind of speaks to the, the ultimate theme in, in a better capacity. Before we stop with this, uh, how did you guys feel about the pacing and how the first season functioned as a, as a unit compared to the first season of the game? Or the first installment. Well, I mean, the, the the first season is the first game. Yeah. Um, and Nailed I it, think yeah. I think that was good. Um, I appreciate the stuff that they added in. It sort of it added. It's just a lot of them develop more character dynamics. Uh, I I really think uh, characters like there are so many characters from the game that I didn't know how they would translate. So, but characters like Henry and Sam, who we meet in the like like episode five, six ish area, mm -hmm. like they're wonderful and they're, they're true to the game, even though the circumstances are not the same as they were in the game. Um, but beyond that, like I, I'm, I'm really into it. I, I think it paced well. I do not want season two to be game two. I think that's rushing it, which I, I keep seeing a lot of speculation, like maybe season two will just be the second game. But like, the beauty of the games is there's four years in between mm -hmm. that uh, the show can really play around with and dig even deeper into the Joel and Ellie relationship and what the world has become at large. It's a really good show. It really is. And and this is so. So now you've heard it's a really good show for two people with a deep investment. In the I game. will say I would like one more episode season one. I feel like towards the end, it felt a little rushed to me. You you and mentioned that to me the other day. Yeah. And I was like, you're not wrong. No, yeah, I, I agree. I, completely. I, I wish there was like episode nine. Oh, this is. No spoilers. Uh, we're, keep, okay. we're keeping spoilers. Yeah, yep. I just like the, one the more this... episode to expound on Joel and Ellie's relationship. Chris will talk after. <laughs> no, I, I do. I do agree with you that the end of the season is a little bit rushed, but 
you know, again, we're uh, when it comes to video game adaptations and how we quibble about them, um, I'm quibbling about little things and, in this adaptation. Yeah, I'm also like splitting hairs. Every criticism is like the tiny, like it's that's fantastic. The, that's the yeah, thing. Like, Any criticism I have is almost immediately like erased by the fact that like I love this show. Yeah. And I know we've talked mostly about Pedro and Bella, but like the entire cast is ridiculous. It's Gabriel Luna. It's Anna Torv. It, uh, Marlene, Merle Dandridge. That is the actress who plays Marlene in the game mm -hmm. that is now bringing it mm -hmm. to life on the show. She's the one person from the game show. And yeah, you will see the like, you will see the uh, Troy Baker mm -hmm. and Ashley, and Ashley Johnson, Johnson who do Joel and Ellie Chrissy, in the game. Chrissy Seaver has a great cameo. It is a great Chrissy Seaver cameo. It's, it, it's wild that Chrissy Seaver's an adult now, right? It, this is what happens when you age. <laughs> anyway, for more of my weekly TV recommendations, be sure to subscribe to The Hollywood Reporter, or that's mine also. Now see this newsletter and bookmark THR.com slash TV hyphen reviews. And this is a good place to wrap things up. Thank you for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. And thank you so much to Chris Hainer, Han Nguyen, and Kayla Cobb. Each of you, plug something. I'll go first. Uh, we're doing over, I, I work at GameSpot and across GameSpot, TVGuide.com and Metacritic, we are doing uh, The Last of Us After Show. So Monday morning, pop over to the GameSpot Universe YouTube or on site at GameSpot, TV Guide or Metacritic and watch me and Megan Vick uh, from TV Guide and Danielle Terciano from Metacritic talk all about things from that first episode, including talking to the cast and creators. I'm mainly an editor at Salon, so I don't write that much. However, I do participate in a podcast called Good Pop Culture Club, which talks about pop culture from an Asian American point of view. It's not necessarily stuff that is Asian American. Uh, I believe we're going to talk about Megan at some point soon. Um, but we always do maybe throw in extra stuff because we are Asian Americans. So we can't help turn, but turn that on uh, when we talk about stuff. So yeah, check that out. It's wherever you find your podcasts. I write for Decider, so I guess come to Decider and read our reviews and whatnot. And as always, thank you to our fantastic producer, Matt Whitehurst, who came and set up this little roundtable conversation uh, that we have just been having. Be sure to subscribe to TV's Top 5 on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little review-y thing. Those suckers help spread the word of mouth. And now that we haven't been dark for a full month, we're back to business. Uh, you can always come say hi to me and Leslie on Twitter. She's at Snoodit. I'm at The Fine Print. And let us know what's working, what isn't working, and all that good stuff. If you have questions for future mailbag segments, you can email us at TV's Top 5 at THR.com. That's TV's Top 5, the numeral 5 at THR.com. Until next week, feel all better, Leslie. Go Dodgers! Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.